Everybody coming to enjoy our Christmas programs because Christmas is in full swing oh, here yeah. at the Creation Museum and down at the uh, Ark Encounter. So we've got Christmas Town at the Creation Museum going on, which is a free event where we have a spectacular Garden of Lights. We have a live nativity. Um, this year we have the Gleiss Rink, the synthetic ice rink is oh, here yeah. at the Creation Museum. My four-year-old is absolutely nuts about the Gleiss Rink. He just oh, it's yeah. a Canadian and him. He can't help but want to skate all the time. He just loves it. He wants to skate all. He wants to come every single night. Yeah, just my seven-year-old, he loved it too. I watched because I was scared of just breaking something. So, but he <laughs> did an incredible job. And uh, yeah, they're having a ton of fun with that here at the Creation Museum. By the way, with the lit up lights in the botanical gardens, there are lit up oh. dinosaurs, lit up T-Rexes and Stegosaurus and Styracosaurus and Spinosaurus, yes. which is fun for the kid and adults like me or the people. <laughs> and of course, the Ark Encounter yep. is yep. lit up as well for Christmas time. Yep. And that's beautiful as well. They've got the grounds all lit up with lights down there they as do a well. Great job. They've got the life-size Ark lit up in rainbow colors. There's a um, Christmas carol concert inside the Answer That's Center, right. so you stay nice and warm um, yeah. going in to enjoy that. And there's also the Encounter the Wonder animated program inside the Answer Center as well. And both of those, like I said, are free events. You just pay for parking. Um, and they've started and they're ongoing through the end of the month. Um, and you can check out our website to find all the full dates of when all those are going hey. on. Come while you can. It is December 9th. And for all the mm -hmm. men out there, it is December 9th. Get busy <laughs> buying what, what you need to buy. Right? Christmas, There's I think. not much time. All right. <laughs> so get on it if you got to. Like myself, but okay. <laughs> uh, so we've been, you and I have been busy the last, like, what, week yeah. or two filming videos for, uh, I don't know if everyone's heard yet, we're, we're releasing uh, in January. Answers Bible Curriculum for Homeschool. So we're taking so our exciting. very popular Sunday School curriculum, and it's becoming a homeschool curriculum, which we are so excited about. Well, and we're converting it specifically for homeschooling, making yes. it very easy to use in a homeschooling setting. Mm -hmm. It'll be geared just for that. So it'll be very usable, very user-friendly, very engaging for That'd the family amazing. at that level, right? I can't wait. So, and we're making videos called Building Blocks. Yep. That's the name of the show. That's our part of it. We're doing the video component. Um, and so each video is roughly around probably seven to ten minutes long, doing mm -hmm. an object lesson to flesh out the main point of the lesson. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, the curriculum developed for ages kind of kindergarten through fifth grade. Yep. So... Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. So we've been working a lot together, getting all those videos done. Um, my 17 thus far, 17 right? so far. Yeah. Woo. And my incredible husband has been volunteering his time to do all of the filming work uh, for us. And he built the set, and he's doing the editing. He's absolutely Hats off to amazing. Trevor. So thank shout you, Trevor. Out. This is my job, shout buddy. out to him. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you definitely be be uh, waiting for the big announcement uh, uh, about that. And check out AnswersBibleCurriculum.com to check out the new homeschooling curriculum and try some sample lessons. There you go. All right, so jumping in here with our fluff item. This is kind of our fun item we start with before we get into the news, which is, you know, rarely ever good news. Typically so sad. Yes. This one... <laughs> From hijabs to cosplay, Indonesian finds calling in cat fashion makeovers. So if you've ever looked at your little cat and thought, my cat needs a makeover, <laughs> this is the guy to help you with that. Look at that cat. The cat does not look happy. Doesn't that cat look extremely just <laughs> happy about life? The cat looks thrilled with what has happened to him. <laughs> So, like, I'm going to destroy my owner's couch while they're asleep for putting this on me. So that, that's what that look looks like, actually. So this guy yeah. was a former Indonesian uh, school teacher, right. and now he has found a niche market making and selling outfits for cats. Yeah, so outfits for cats, whether it's hijabs, if you're of the Islam, Islamic persuasion, mm -hmm. or maybe you like comic books or fictional characters, so you can actually get cosplay outfits, which are outfits of fictional characters worn to things like comic book events and stuff like that. And so you can dress your cat up like Thor. One of his customers I, has I 30 different outfits for their cat. 30. And uh, he's doing pretty well in Indonesia. He's making 3 million rupa, or rupiah a month, which is like $210 in American dollars, but he's still doing pretty well by their currency anyway. And yeah, uh, yeah well, 30. That was 
entertaining. And you just look at that poor cat's face, and the cat is well, not yeah. enjoying itself. And it's interesting. The person who bought 30 of those outfits said, it's only for fun. It can relieve stress. For the owner. <laughs> I don't think the cat is having any stress. The cat relief. now has to pick out what it's going to wear every day. It's kind of sad. And uh, oh, yeah. Goodness. But anyway. <laughs> By the way, I'm following along on Facebook, on Ken Ham's Facebook. So if you want to make comments or engage there, I will try to follow along. And by the way, I will say this, so I'll mention this in the comments. I wish Ken was here to make comments about that article. Yes, Ken, not a big fan of cats. So I'm sure he would have that. lots of things to say oh, about yeah. that one. <laughs> this next one comes from Christian Headlines. Planets will align causing rare Christmas star to appear in the sky this December. So this item's actually been pretty popular. I've seen it kind of all over the place talking about this yeah. Christmas star event. Um, which is the conjunction so of two planets, Saturn and Jupiter, on December 21st. So they'll, to our eye, from our position on Earth, it will look like they're uh, right next, like yep. so close to each other, they'll appear as one planet, one so bright really spot bright. in the sky. And conjunctions happen, this overlapping of the planets to produce these bright stars. They happen quite often, but this one will be really, really bright. And mm -hmm. so it's very it unique. It happened since the 1200s. Yeah, that so been it's been quite, been like this, quite so. a time. And so it will be really neat to get out and check, and check that out. Mm -hmm. And you can see it from anywhere in the world from December 21st. Assuming the sky is clear. Right. And I think that's the entire week, right? If I yeah, read the article get correctly. Yeah, closer together as the week goes along with um, December 21st being the, the day where they and so, the closest I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm going to take you know, my kids out. We're going to look at it and check it out. It's going to be mm -hmm. beautiful to look at. Something we should do, right? And then maybe enjoy use God's that. Enjoy God's creation. Uh, enjoy God's creation, right? And then use that to teach a biblical truth, like the purpose of the Christmas star, pointing to the birth of Christ, mm -hmm. God who became flesh. And why do we need God to become flesh? Because we need a Savior. Get to the mm -hmm. gospel with it with your kids, the true point of Christmas. It's mm -hmm. a great use, teaching tool. Use the heavens to declare the glory of God, as Psalm 19 says. Way to quote um, the Bible. So. Look at you, yes. <laughs> So it's interesting, this, this article at the very end talks about how, you know, maybe the, the Christmas star, the star of Bethlehem, maybe that was a triple conjunction between um, Saturn, Jupiter, and Venus, and yeah. that's been kind of a popular idea floated around. It doesn't really match with what the scripture teaches about the, the star the that Christmas it traveled, star. that it, you know, stopped over the moved, place where Jesus was. Stopped over a particular mm -hmm. place. So it probably yeah. was a supernatural event, most likely. Mm -hmm. We can't be dogmatic. The biblical text is not explicit on this. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting quote, though. They quoted that Johannes Kepler was an astronomer thought it was a triple conjunction for the Christmas mm. star. But Johannes Kepler was a devout Christian, and mm -hmm. he believed in the young earth as well. He said he loved doing science because he's thinking God's thoughts after him. Mm. Have a cool little side note there, but mm. anyway. Yeah, so if you would like to know a little bit more about how to see this, um, Dr. Danny Faulkner mm. uh, has an article coming out that's going to talk stuff. a little bit about it. And then um, Ken Ham's blog features, that I think is coming out on Friday, features a quote from Dr. Faulkner, who's an astronomer, um, about how you can see it and where to look. And, um, you know, make sure you look at the right time because it's only there for a little while. Um, so that kind of thing. So we want to check that out. But we also have, as part of our Christmas Town event yep. here at the Creation Museum, we have a planetarium show called The Christmas Star oh, that talks right. about what might the star have been um, and answer some of those questions. I've got a little, uh, short little trailer here uh, that, to tell you more about that. Um, but this is our first 4K Ooh, yeah, show 4K. for the brand new, completely upgraded planetarium we have here. So that's pretty exciting. So if you're here for um, visiting during December or here for Christmas Town, and our whole planetarium has recently been updated. It is mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. Technology is Laser so phenomenal. Now. Yeah, it's, phenomenal. Uh, it's even phenomenal compared to most secular planetariums. Mm -hmm. It really is. The shows are so well done. So if you're here with us today, be sure you check out those shows. They're really mm -hmm. worth it. They sure. really are. 
By the way, I've seen people from Oregon. I see people from Flint, Michigan. I see Chris and David from Australia popping online. So good to see all you guys and all you guys here too. All right, the next one comes from Live Science. Sprawling eight mile long canvas of Ice Age beasts discovered hidden in Amazon rainforest. Ooh. So you never know what you're gonna find when you start looking, I guess. <laughs> because researchers have just discovered an almost eight mile long, just like rock face that's covered in um, drawings of different creatures, humans, People, handprints, handprints, geometric designs, so cool. all kinds of things that, of course, they think have been there for about 12,000 years since the end of the last Ice Age. Of course, in a biblical worldview, we know right. that timeline is not correct. Do you think that using the sort of paint they used on rocks, it would last for 12,000 years in this of weathering and erosion and that incredible yeah. condition? Probably not. Even 4,000 years is a bit of a stretch. It most likely could, but that's still a long time. Mm -hmm. But most likely yeah. the, these are paintings from after the flood of Noah's day. There's an ice age after the flood. Mm -hmm. And um, during this time frame, you have people drawing these pictures. And yeah, these would be made by people who left Babel, went yep. spread out over the world, eventually ended up here and um, made these drawings depicting their life at the time, what was going on. Uh, some of the, the creatures that are featured, of course, ones we'd still you know, recognized today, monkeys, bats, turtles, you know, things like that. But then also some of the, um, the creatures that have gone extinct, sure. like the, the camelids, things like that, um, the, that were over there that um, aren't there anymore. Um, and that were, you know, some of these mm. mammals that were the size of like a small car that we just don't have anymore. So. And they make mention, the paintings are really nice because some of the details of the animals they're looking at help us understand what these extinct creatures look like and understand their anatomy mm -hmm. a bit better. And the same is true, by the way, about dinosaurs. There are cave drawings, pictographs all around mm -hmm. the world that show man with different variations of dinosaurs, mm -hmm. whether stegosaurs or the sauropods or things like the pterosaurs or winged reptiles associated with dinosaurs. And so they give us good ideas what those creatures actually were like at that particular time. Mm -hmm. now, of course, the secular world balks at that, but they've got the yeah. wrong assumptions about history, and that's why. And so it's interesting, they may note that when these drawings were made, they said the Amazon was still transforming to the tropical forest we recognize today. And actually, during the... Uh, Ice Age after Noah's Flood, mm -hmm. the climate would be transitioning. Bear in mind, Noah's Flood wrecked this world and destroyed the topography mm -hmm. of the planet, just wiped yeah. it clean, also destroyed the climate of the planet. Post-flood, mm -hmm. it's still kind of settling back in place, and the climate will oscillate. So it is transitioning to what we see today. And so mm -hmm. it makes sense it was transitioning. It's just their time frame is very wrong. Yeah, yeah, because of their evolutionary assumptions and the fact that they reject what the Bible says about history, they're going to come to the wrong um, conclusions about timelines and things like that because they have the wrong starting point. And it's also really interesting as you look at the paintings, people are people are people. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I like to draw a little bit, you know, if I, if I lived in, had access to that paint, I'd probably doodle some on the walls as well. Right. Anybody in here, when you're in class in school or homeschool as you're learning, you draw little pictures as your teacher talks. Anybody else do that? <laughs> right? no, and I can still listen because I'm very auditory in my learning, right? But yeah, people like to do that. Right. So yeah. Yeah. people are people. And they drew yep. pictures interacting with animals, interacting with plants, you know, and that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. kind of neat to see that. It's neat to see a little glimpse into the world of people who left Babel and, and who ended up in this particular part of the world. Right. This next one comes from USA Today. To this Supreme okay. Court, religious freedom trumps public health even amid COVID-19 plague. So yeah. this is an article commenting on the decision from late November that the Supreme Court made regarding um, religious freedom, particularly in the state of New York, saying that um, the governor of New York's not allowed to um, put these bans on religious worship, church right. services, things like that. The, the numbers that he was saying only, you know, 10 to 25 people could meet, regardless of the size of the church, only 10 to 25 people could meet um, if it was a red zone or a yellow zone or whatever. Yeah. And the Supreme Court, in, in a, an opinion, said, no, that's... 
you can't do that. Well, and the big problem here, as is, as in multiple states, mm-hmm. is not the fact they're restricting how many people can go if they can go. Uh, well, that is a problem to one degree. But the bigger problem is it's not equal treatment. It's the inconsistency so, of it. Mm-hmm. So they're allowing, you know, let's say casinos to stay open or, you know, liquor stores to stay open or restaurants to stay open, have capacity of, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 people where churches can only have 10 people. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not equal treatment. There's obvious viewpoint mm-hmm. discrimination taking place here yeah. on this. And that's the bigger issue at play, which the author tends to miss on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the author's coming at this from, from a very liberal. Very uh, You see liberal. that even in just the, the title there, you see the very liberal bent of the person who's writing this, talking about basically saying um, that this new Supreme Court, of course, referring to um, how the makeup has changed in the last a little while with Amy Coney Barrett now being a justice on the court and how they've. Mm-hmm. So they decided this differently than the court decided back in September when sure. they just basically said Bruce governors Bader. need to make their own yeah. decisions, but the court had a different makeup back then. So this Very person is basically yeah. sad about that and that the court has shifted and that these conservative justices are changing America into something that we're not even going to be able to recognize because of their decisions. And it's so funny. The author calls, you know, defending religious liberty, they call that unrecognizable. Right. Whereas for them, if you defend things like sexual liberty, the moral sexual revolution, the LGBTQ mm-hmm. revolution, and try to import those rights into the Constitution, Abortion, they call like that, that normative. Yeah. And as I read the article, it just became also clear something we say all the time. Your worldview makes mm-hmm. all the difference, yep. right? Yep. Because from the secular worldview, the non-biblical worldview, the conservative Christian biblical worldview to them, that looks radical and extreme and extremely dangerous. And they mm-hmm. view, if you have that worldview, if you're a Christian, have a biblical worldview, they view you as radical and dangerous. In much the same way we view them from a biblical worldview. Right. And so same observations, different interpretations based on your starting assumptions about the reality that we live in. And mm-hmm. so worldview matters. And so we've got to keep that in mind as we engage people on these issues. Fundamentally, they've got the wrong foundation if they're not trusting the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's where the conclusions are so off base. Absolutely. Yep. All right, so this next one, uh, Megan's royal miscarriage story underscores broader problem of reproductive stigma. So um, in a New York Times um, op-ed, Megan, who is the Duchess of Sussex, married Prince Harry, um, she wrote a very, very heartbreaking article about the miscarriage that she and her husband had over the summer. Um, They were speaking out about that. And so this this woman is writing in response to that and saying, uh, yeah, there's this stigma around miscarriage. People don't want to speak up about it. People don't want to talk about it. And if we want to get rid of that, we have to get rid of the stigma around abortion too. They literally equate a miscarriage with abortion. As if this is in any way the same thing that we're talking about here. And by the way, in, a, in the secular worldview, if you believe abortion is okay, if you believe the entity in the mother's womb is not a human being made in God's image, but just a clump of cells, in a miscarriage, all that's dying is a clump of cells, right? And clump of cells. I would argue, and the author certainly does not make this point, but I would argue that uh, that when it comes to, to talking about miscarriage, the abortion debate has really made that difficult because the abortion debate has pushed for so long that it's just part of the mother's body. It's just a clump of cells. It's That's right. so when you have a miscarriage, it's just oh, this thing wasn't even a baby. So what, like, uh, what right do you have to be sad and to be mourning? You just said, and the woman doesn't doesn't refer to this as a loss of a baby or whatever. She says it's a private, painful pregnancy outcome. So you didn't lose a baby. You didn't lose a member of your family. You had a different pregnancy outcome than you were hoping for. And and so when she uses words like that, even though she's saying in here we need to get rid of the stigma around miscarriage, what she's really saying is I'm going to use terminology from the abortion movement. 
and bring that into this discussion about miscarriage and actually increase the stigma around miscarriage and make it sound like something it's not, where really what's happening is a, a child has passed away. And it's... Ugh. And she it's actually great. says that because abortion has been stigmatized, that leads to the stigmatization, if I can make up a word, uh, of a miscarriage. But those two things are not the same. They're, They're not just the same not at equal. All. That's called a logical fallacy of correlation. Yes. Just because something correlates in her mind doesn't mean that it has an actual correlation. Mm -hmm. If to me, you know, basketballs are orange and orange is orange, therefore they must come from the same source. That's right. not true because I think it to be true. That's a fallacy of correlation, mm -hmm. right? That's what's happening here. Abortion, from a biblical worldview, we know definitively it is murder. Mm -hmm. We know in the mother's womb that's a living human being made in God's image. God's word is also clear mm -hmm. about this. And so if you kill that life intentionally, that is murder. Mm -hmm. A miscarriage is not murder. Mm -hmm. That is the consequence of living in a sin-cursed, broken world. Horrific things happen. And a miscarriage it is horrific. It is a oh, loss yes. of life. So it's from a biblical worldview, no mm -hmm. argument against that, yeah, right? Absolutely. But miscarriage is the consequence of a broken world. Abortion is murder. They're not the same. It'd be right. like saying, okay, I'm walking down the street with, with this person beside me. We're walking on the sidewalk down the street. And for some reason, uh, the person beside me, he trips on the curb, falls into the street, gets hit by a truck, and they die. That'd be a terrible accident, right? Mm -hmm. But then equating that to what if you're walking down the street, down the sidewalk beside a street, you're walking beside somebody, you're mad at this person, you decide you want them to die, you see a truck coming, and you push them into the street to get hit by the truck and die. Not the same situation. Not the same thing, right? right. Same thing with her false correlation mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my husband and I actually had a miscarriage back in 2017 between my right. son, Winston, and my daughter, Felicity. And when we were at the hospital um, dealing with that whole situation, one of the nurses actually told me, just think of this as a clump of cells that just didn't turn out right. And that will help you feel better. Are and you I was serious? Like, That's what I was told by one you of the nurses in an attempt that. to make me feel better. And Holy I was like, cow. no, this was a child made in the very image of God, a member of our family who passed away. And I'm going to mourn my child because this was a child made in God's image who we love. Wow. And he was part of our family. And so you just, you see that thinking in our culture that comes, that's so just steeped in that, the, that whole abortion idea of yeah. this is part of the mother's body. It's just a clump of cells, whatever, in order to try in some way justify the murder of children. And it's wrong. And so this it article, well, I certainly do agree that we need to be speaking up more about miscarriage, talking about our experiences, because so many women do experience in a, in a broken world, so many women, so many men, so many families do experience the loss of a, of a child due to a miscarriage. We need to be speaking about that and mourning with those who mourn. It is not in the way that this article says whatsoever no. by in any way trying to get rid of this, you know, stigma around abortion. Abortion is a sin and it needs to be called such. A couple of resources just to give you some ideas of what we can look at to get equipped to deal with these issues. First, I'll reference this book right here called Quick Answers to Social Issues. The author is a bit sketchy, so I won't mention that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm not trying to self-promote my own book, but in this book, we, do, we give biblical answers to issues like what about abortion? What about the secular arguments for abortion? How do we counter those mm -hmm. and other issues like euthanasia, stem cell research, mm -hmm. and social justice, and climate change, and homosexuality, et cetera, et cetera, answers there. And we mentioned the Christmas star earlier, and there are lots of answers in regards to issues around Christmas from a biblical worldview. And there's a war on Christmas in different ways from a secular mm -hmm. worldview. So a great book on that by Bodie Hodge called The War on Christmas. And so giving good biblical answers in regards to some of those issues are in this book as well. So just a quick reference to good resources to help you out on this stuff.
All right, this next one comes from Popular Mechanics. Intelligent life really can't exist anywhere else. So we're back to talking about aliens again because Ooh, we have we one like every couple of weeks where it's like life must exist somewhere. Oh, wait, maybe it it's doesn't. It's literally no, it every does. show. It's like all the you time. Can't get away they from just it. cannot make yes. up their minds. Because the problem is, and we've said this over and over and over again on the show, the problem is we have this, you know, massive universe. If life evolved here, it had to have evolved somewhere else. We cannot be special. Life cannot just exist here because that points to a creator who yeah. made life here. So this article says our own evolution on Earth was pure luck. Can I read this really quick? So they say, cosmic statisticians say the likelihood of life evolving on Earth is even less than we originally thought. And the less, statistically speaking, is literally statistically impossible. Yes. Based yeah. on logic. The article right. goes on to talk about like the key times for evolution of life on Earth. And they conclude it would be virtually impossible for that life to evolve the same way somewhere else. Because... It's incredible that life even evolved here. And they go through to talk about all the, the lottery tickets, so to speak, that Earth won in order to be able to produce life. We have to be just the right distance from the sun. Yeah. We have to have the right the kind Goldilocks of sun. Conditions, we have to right? have you know, a sun that's, that's stable, so it's not going to send out flares. It just kills everything. We have to have you know, the right size Earth. We have to be the right distance but from the, the sun. But the probability for each of those things right? is It's like so small. And then minuscule. you add them all together, and they're just like, Earth won the lottery over and over and over that's and over again. And it's like... Yep. You are living out Romans 1 in this article, which says, you know, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah. It's obvious from what God has made that there is a creator, but the truth is suppressed. And you just see this in this article. And it's pretty ironic. They say that based on our analysis of evolution, how long it would take based on our probability studies here, it would take longer for evolution to occur than the earth has existed. It's a bit of a problem. Which is a problem. So ironically, <laughs> what do some evolutionists use to try to get around that problem? They suggest that maybe mm -hmm. aliens came and seeded life here at a kind of advanced mm -hmm. stage billions of years ago, and it evolved from there. Kind of ironic how all that works out, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it's, it's quite an interesting article just about just the dumb well, luck that, and how much faith you have to have as an evolutionist to believe that all these right conditions all happen to be at the same time in order for life to evolve and then life to evolve to all the different forms it has today, including the development of multicellularity 40 different times. Because, well, bear in mind, each cell is like a complicated city. Oh, yeah. And so multicellular organisms are multiple cities working together in harmony to make something work as a function, as a unit, mm -hmm. which is amazingly complex beyond anything that we can actually do on our own. So, yeah, that goes against known laws of science. I mean, evolution breaks laws of, like, biogenesis, laws of thermodynamics, yep. uh, laws of information. It breaks all sorts of scientific laws. Mm -hmm. But can we just say this? You said they have a lot of faith. Yeah. And they do. And please bear mm -hmm. in mind, people who believe this, and I say this all the time, but it's yeah. so important, please realize they're not dumb. Right. They're no, typically very smart, very smart and very educated. Typically, some of these mm -hmm. guys have multiple PhDs, so it's not a head issue. Uh, and they're being consistent with their worldview. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. They start with the assumption there's no supernatural creator. We got here by natural processes. Mm -hmm. We got here by accident. Surely life evolved somewhere, by, uh, somewhere else by accident. Right. It mm -hmm. makes sense in their worldview. What I would say is they have the wrong Absolutely. worldview. They've got the mm -hmm. wrong foundation about mm -hmm. reality, past, present, or future. They're trusting man's ideas, and in reality, God's word is the right thing to mm -hmm. trust for the past, the present, and the future. But they start mm -hmm. with the wrong assumptions, and thus they get wrong conclusions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, just like what Romans 1 says about how um, creation, when we look at creation, it's obvious that there is a creator. We see that. Yeah. And, and as we look through this and we just think about all the lottery tickets Earth had to win in order for life to have evolved, it's just like, no. Right. It's, 
the evidence is overwhelming that there is a creator God who made this universe, who made us. Um, and we know him from the word of God and the history, the true history in the Bible. And bouncing off that back to Romans chapter one, it also tells us that the unrighteous, they suppress the truth mm -hmm. in unrighteousness. You see, bottom line, if there's a God who made us, well, he owns us, we're accountable mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. And the Bible says he judged the world in the past, he'll judge the world again in the future. And sinful man doesn't like that idea. So what do they do mm -hmm. in their sinful state? Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Ultimately, all these things aren't a head issue. It's, it's a, a heart, heart issue, issue ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. The next one comes from USA Today. Hallmark Lifetime Christmas movies finally show LGBTQ love in leading roles. It fits in. So the article starts, I thought this, this first sentence was really telling. Yeah. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas on, on TV and a modern day Christmas at that. So this whole article, as you read through it, just the whole idea of these, you know, Hallmark, Lifetime, Netflix, incorporating um, lead LGBT roles into these Christmas films, it's encapsulating the way our world is now. And really, th that's what they're arguing in this article. This is the way the world is, and these movies are finally catching up with how, yeah. where the culture is now. And that really does point to how much our culture has changed, even Absolutely. in the last just few years, and really where the culture is continuing to head. Because as soon as you become... Um, loose from God and his word and the foundation of morality that's given to us in the word of God, then anything goes and yep. all these different perversions become the norm for a culture that is in rebellion against God and God's design for humanity. Uh, well said. And, you know, one actor who's taken part in one of these shows for Hallmark, there's also one on Lifetime and many others as well, Netflix, that are celebrating yeah. homosexuality and so-called gay marriage, etc. But one actor who's playing part of the romantic couple, I think in Hallmark, the Hallmark movie, yeah. he yeah. said he loves doing the show. It's really special because it feels like progress. In mm -hmm. reality, as you were saying, it is degress. We're moving away from mm -hmm. the biblical standard of the family unit, of what marriage actually is. And bottom line, God made us. He mm -hmm. knows how we work best. And when we deviate mm -hmm. from that, that does not lead to human flourishing. That leads to, that leads away from mm -hmm. human flourishing and then it collapses the society eventually. Mm -hmm. And so in reality, although they celebrate it as progress, it is Degress, mm -hmm. and we're going on a dark and road that, that with this. same actor you were just talking about, who is an openly homosexual actor, he goes on to say that, you know, when he was a kid, he would have loved to have seen a movie with a gay couple in them because it would have made him feel um, a little less scared and a little more seen, is what he says. And a lot of people would be like, you know, why are you upset about these people yeah. being in these movies? As, you know, as, if it makes people happier, it makes these, you know, kids who feel this way feel included, why are you upset about that? It really goes back to what God's word teaches and how God has designed us and how God has designed marriage. Marriage isn't a social institution that we can bend and fit however Sorry. we want. It's God's institution. He created it. He designed us. And so those who, who are, are running in the opposite direction of how God has made us and how God has designed marriage to be, they're hurting themselves right. and they're hurting others. That's and right. when, we, when we read about this, and really this is the celebration of sin, the celebration of a lifestyle that re rejects what God has told us, it hurts people. These are real individuals who are made in the image of God, who have an eternal soul that will spend right. eternity either with God or apart from God, who are watching these movies and who are seeing perhaps their personal struggle with a particular sin, seeing it celebrated as a good thing. It's not sin. It is a good thing. It is, it is how you're made. Celebrate it. And they're celebrating sin that and leads people 
away from Christ yep. and towards a Christless eternity. So yes, we are going to, to stand out and speak against these things because it is leading people astray and ultimately hurting them with eternal consequences. What, what yep. this guy as a little kid needed was not to see LGBTQ characters in movies. He needed the, the gospel. gospel. He needs the gospel today. Amen. He needs to hear that, that we live in a broken world, that we are broken people, and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us, who died on the cross and took that penalty of sin that we all justly deserve because of our sin upon himself. And then he offers the free gift of eternal life to all who repent and put their faith and trust in him. That's the message he needed as a child. It's the message he needs now. And it's the message that everyone needs to hear. That's the message I'd love to see on Hallmark yes. or Lifetime or every TV <laughs> station. I mean, you can find that message at answers.tv, by you the can. way. Check yes. that out. Somebody saw that on the chat. Yes. It's a really great our resource. platform. It's amazing. And, and people say, why do you get so bothered by this being normalized on TV? Well, because it is sin and rebelling against God, as you said. Think about if you saw on a on a show on Lifetime, they were they were celebrating normalizing pedophilia, or something like right. You'd probably be like, you would be appalled why and are rightfully they doing this? so. Yes, right. Yeah, that's the same sort of thing here. Now, our culture hates it when you make that equation, but guys, God defines what sexuality is. Yes, not us. And any mm-hmm. deviation from that is a violation that leads to our pain, our hurt, our brokenness, mm-hmm. and does not glorify Him. And so, mm-hmm. as you so rightly said, we need to get back. Back to God's word. And that's why we care. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we say all the time, our passion as a ministry is not about winning arguments per se about origins, the age of the earth, or even morality and sexuality, but defending biblical authority Mm -hmm. and the gospel rooted in that authority and Mm -hmm. the consequences of that. Yes, absolutely. All right. So this last one here, um, we've got time for one more coming from Live Science. Biblical Goliath may not have been a giant. So can I add, if you don't read the Bible as written. <laughs> right. Well, the, Basically, the person, the, how it goes. The, the expert they're quoting in this article says, we're not trying to make a statement on the veracity of the story, but, but you are. But then they are yeah. by saying, well, it might not be the way that the Bible says it then. So what this is about is they've done some um, excavations in Gath, which is the city that Goliath came from. Right. And they found that the city wall, um, one of the, the walls that protected the city, was the same width as Goliath's height is described sure. in the Bible. So they're like, oh, well, it must have been a metaphorical so way that the Goliath author used to describe how big and strong Goliath was. He was as big and strong as the city wall, not his actual measurements. Yeah, and so they say, well, maybe the author, you know, did not know, so use this metaphorical right, didn't analogy have to kind of just get across the point corpse, of how big so he how is. So how do we know how tall he was? Yeah, and they make that point. So the author, or the, the author who wrote about David and Goliath, did not have access to the corpse of Goliath. Um, excuse me. First of all, Samuel wrote First and Second Samuel. He was alive when all this took place. He might have been there, maybe not. But there are plenty of. Uh, there were literally hundreds of eyewitnesses right. who saw David fight Goliath. David had Goliath's head. As a trophy, all right? So you have a reference point there. They could have talked to Samuel. Samuel could have been there. And also bear in mind, who's the ultimate author of all of Scripture? And that is God. God. He knows how how tall he was. He made Goliath. He knows that. So, I mean, there's no question there. The way way controversy comes in, the question comes in when you don't trust what the Bible clearly says in context and try to import your Mm -hmm. own ideas into the text, which is what the author tries to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and, and it really is ironic that he says, you know, we're not trying to make a statement on the veracity of the story, but then to go on and basically say, well, it's just a metaphor, and it's, and it, it really, he is making a statement on it while trying not to make a statement on it, which 
is a statement in and of itself. Right. And literally, if you look at the veracity of the Bible, literally the Bible is the best history book in the entire world. Nothing else is mm-hmm. even a close second. We've got more manuscripts of the Bible, closer to mm-hmm. written, closer to the actual events than any other historical document in the world. We have mm-hmm. whole exhibits on that here at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. It's literally the best history book in the entire world. You can trust what it says based on that standard. And of course, most importantly, because it is God's revealed word. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.